Is there a giant lurking behind the scenes, threatening to steal your joy? Discover how to banish fear and worry when you read Slaying the Giants in Your Life by Dr. David Jeremiah. This best-selling book is yours when you make a donation to Turning Point. For a gift of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, study guide, CD or DVD album, and more. And this month only, for just $60, you can receive this set immediately as a digital kit. Learn more and donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're still holding on to anger years after the situation that triggered it, ask yourself, is it because you're unable to let it go or unwilling? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah gets to the heart of anger's long-lasting grip and how to release its hold on your life. From slaying the giants in your life, here's David with the conclusion of his message, Slaying the Giant of Anger. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, Thank you for being willing to listen, even if this happens to be one of your major issues. You never get help unless you seek for it, and help comes from the Scriptures. Uh, We may not be able to solve all the problems, but we sure can help you understand how God views this and how He expects us to handle it as followers of Christ. We'll be back in Ephesians 4 in just a few moments for part two of Slaying the Giant of Anger. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we begin a two-part discussion on the subject of resentment. A lot of people live with resentment in their hearts. I've met a few of them, and I have some stories to tell you. I hope you'll be with us tomorrow. You can get a copy of this course book. This is like a, a study course, a college course, if you will. And you can order this from Turning Point. The textbook, the the resource for the month, is called Slaying the Giants in Your Life. It's 200 pages. All of the material that I'm sharing on the radio is in this book. All the references, all the footnotes, uh, and then there's a study guide you can get to go with it. Uh, you get that from Turning Point Online. But let me just tell you this. You can get the book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, for a gift of any size during the month of February. That's how you get that book. Send a gift to express your determination to help us do what we do, and perhaps even your gratitude for what God has done in your life through Turning Point. And when you send that gift, all you have to do is say, send me the Giants book, and it'll be on its way. Well, that's all I want to talk about right now before we get back into our discussion. Here is part two of Slaying the Giant of Anger. Now, I have to tell you, I've always secretly liked this passage of Scripture because I'm tired of people talking about Jesus like he was some sort of a wimp. The Lord Jesus was a man's man, and he walked into the temple that day by himself and got rid of everybody there. But why was he so angry? Why did he do that? There were two reasons, and let me explain them to you because they're important. What was going on in the temple proper was extortion. It was racketeering. The poor pilgrims who were coming to the temple to worship, according to the Jewish customs, were bringing their sacrificial animals with them. The best of their flocks, lambs without blemish and spot. They would get to the temple proper in order to sacrifice the lambs, and the high priest who was in on the racket would say, your animals don't pass inspection. They're not fit to be sacrificed, but... We just happen to have some approved animals over here that you can buy. And of course, the price was extorted. And they took money from the poor pilgrims because they were coming to worship. And when Jesus saw that abuse and injustice, he was filled with anger. 
The other reason he was upset about that happens to be the fact that they had set up shop in the Gentile court. The Gentile court was the outer court of the temple, and it was the only place where non-Jews were allowed to come and worship. It was carefully protected so that those who were not from the Jewish faith could come, and if they desired to, come into the outer court of the temple and worship Jehovah God. And these merchants, these wicked racketeers, had so filled up the Gentile court that there was no place for anyone to worship. And when Jesus saw that, he was filled with anger. Now, what was different about Jesus' anger and the anger that we often express in our lives? Here it is, and this is the key. Jesus' anger was never about his own stuff. His anger was always at the abuses and the wrongdoings and the lack of justice that was going on in the world which he witnessed. And you know, men and women, we need to go back to that kind of righteous anger in our own hearts, don't we? Now, we seem to have become so mellow about life that injustice can go on in our culture without any anger being expressed. There is a righteous anger, but here's the key. If you're angry because of something that's been done to you, that's not righteous anger. But if you're angry because of that which is going on that is abusing others and hurting others, then that is a kind of righteous anger that we ought to feel free to express. On another occasion, the Lord Jesus was ministering on the Sabbath day and they brought to him somebody who had a withered hand. And Jesus, feeling compassion for that man, healed him. And everybody got upset with him because they said he had broken the Sabbath. And it says right in Mark that Jesus was angry. He was angry because they didn't understand the spirit of the law. They didn't understand the importance of compassion. Jesus got angry at the right things. And once in a while, we need to express a little bit of that anger in our own lives. It's gone out of our culture. John Stott once remarked that there's room for Christian righteous anger. Be angry with evil, not tolerant of it. Be angry with sin, not indifferent to it. It's right to be angry. Aristotle a long time ago, said it this way. A man who is angry on the right grounds against the right person in the right manner at the right moment for the right length of time deserves to be praised. And he was right. So we have to recognize that there is a kind of anger that is sinless, but don't confuse it with venting. Don't confuse it with ventilating your own anger because that's not supported in the Scripture. There's also a kind of anger that is sinful, and in the same text to which we have opened, we are given some very clear instructions. It says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath or on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity in your life. Later on in the text, it says, put away from yourself all anger and wrath and clamor and malice and evil speaking. Sinful anger is what most of us have to deal with. Most of us have to deal with the things that somehow get in our spirit and begin to make us angry. And I want to give you some help in dealing with sinful anger because all of us have to deal with it at one time or another. First of all, let me suggest to you that when you face the urge to be angry over something someone has done or failed to do in your interest, you need to make up your mind you're not going to nurse that anger. Here's what the Bible says. Let not the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? That means that you should never be angry about anything more than 24 hours. 
At the end of that period, when the sun goes down, you better get rid of it. Now, Phyllis Diller thought a little differently about this. Phyllis Diller said, never go to bed mad, stay up and fight. Now, that's what she thought it meant. <laughs> but I have to tell you that of the seven deadly sins, the sin of anger is the one which is maybe the one we enjoy the most. We like to turn our anger around in our minds and coddle it. Do you ever make up speeches in your mind? Wouldn't it be awful if all the speeches we've ever made up in our mind were suddenly printed out on the big screen? (laughs) Aren't you glad after the whole thing is passed over you didn't give your speech? Boy, I've come up with some doozies I want you to know. I'm glad they're not public. When you get angry with something and before you know it, you're beginning to enjoy your anger. You're beginning to coddle it and nurse it and and think, you know, and there's something about being angry at another person that gives you a feeling of superiority over them. And oftentimes it's very difficult for us to let it go. When we nurse our anger, it always builds to a grudge. It eats at our soul and finally it begins to rot our soul with a spirit of cynicism. Over time, a grudge makes us prisoners of poison and bitterness. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're to root out bitterness that springs up within our hearts and causes trouble and by which we can be defiled. Settle all accounts before nightfall. I remember a cartoon I saw some years ago of a couple underneath it said, let not the sun go down on your anger. And the wife is hanging off this edge of the big bed and the husband's hanging off the other edge. They got their backs turned to each other and obviously they hadn't gotten the lesson. (laughs) They'd gone to bed angry. You know, let nighttime be the reminder to us that if we have an angry spirit with anyone, let's do our best to resolve it before the night is over. Because when anger is allowed to be nursed in our spirit, when we allow it to be coddled within our soul, It never gets better. It always gets worse. Secondly, let me suggest to you that we should not rehearse our anger. Have you ever been around people that love to tell you how angry they are? I mean, you can't get in their presence before. You don't even have to ask them what's going on with you. They're going to tell you how angry they are. I remember hearing Henry Brandt years ago when I was just getting started in the ministry give a speech on anger. And he gave a speech and went something like this. He said, people are always saying, you make me so angry. And then he said, you know, nobody can make you angry. You are angry. They just bring it out of you. You can't be made to be what you are not. And when we rehearse our anger, when we allow anger to become the subject of our conversation, all we're doing is digging the grooves deeper in our minds and in our spirit, making that thing that has caused us to be angry in the first place bigger than life until it begins to dominate us to such an extent that we cannot live without that being a part of our daily conversation. Don't rehearse your anger. And thirdly, don't converse about it. It's almost the same thing, but... This means don't let your mouth be the source of promoting anger. Here in the text we're told that we are not to let any corrupt word proceed out of our mouth. Do you know what the word corrupt means? In the language in which the New Testament was written, the word corrupt is the word for cutting. It means don't let any cutting remark come out of your mouth. You know, we live in a culture where that's almost a favorite indoor sport, isn't it? Cutting one another. And we've all done it. 
where somebody says something to cut you and then you have to make a little more cutting remark against them and so you can spend a lot of time just cutting one another down. And I've said this before at Shadow Mountain, I'm becoming more convinced of it all the time that I'm not really sure there is a place for sarcasm in a Christian's vocabulary. Because cutting remarks, according to the word of God, often are the source of long-term problems. I had a friend in my church where I was in Fort Wayne before I came here in 1981. He was a, a good friend. He lived around the corner from us. And when we get together, you know, he loved to cut me and you know, I got kind of into it. You know, I figured if he can do this, I can too. So I'd cut him back. So one day I knew something was wrong and I went and sat down with him and I said, what's going on here? And he said, do you remember when? And he pointed back to a time I'd already forgotten. We were sitting at the dinner table and he took something I said in jest and he took it seriously and lodged it in his heart. And that cutting remark caused a spirit of bitterness to grow up in his heart. I vowed before God that as much as it was humanly possible for me that day, I would not get involved in that game again. Because I found out that since I'm a pastor, people weigh my words a lot heavier than I meet them in a time of jest. The Lord Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, instructs us that we're not to let cutting words come out of our mouth. But notice what the alternative is. But what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. We're not to use cutting remarks. We're to use remarks that build one another up and give strength and grace to them in their lives. What is it that the Proverbs says in Proverbs 15:1? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then there's one other thought here under this point that I need to leave with you. How many of you know that when you hang out with angry people, before long, you pick up some of their symptoms. In fact, the proverb says that in such a very forceful way. Listen to what this verse says. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your own soul. I don't like to be around angry people. You never know when they're going to go off. You don't know what's going to set them off. And it's very difficult to be with such a person without picking up some of their habits. Now you say, Pastor Jeremiah, what if I'm married to him? <laughs> I will pray for you. <laughs> and you need to pray a lot too. Fourth, don't disperse your anger. This is kind of going back to where we started. Let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, says the writer to Ephesians. It tells us that we're not to just express our anger whenever we feel like it. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a discretion. Sinful anger is not a rebuke. Sinful anger is a tantrum. How many of you know that anger in an adult is simply the full-grown, more sophisticated kind of a child's temper tantrum. The Bible says that the way you deal with anger is you don't nurse it, you don't rehearse it, you don't converse about it. What you do with it is you don't disperse it, you reverse it. How do you reverse anger? Well, right here in the text it says you do it with forgiveness and loving kindness and tenderness. You go to the person who's made you angry and you try to minister to them. 
In fact, it says in Romans 12, 20 and 21, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. I never understood what that meant for a long time. It sounded like some biblical expression. What does it mean to heap coals of fire on someone's head? And I did the homework on it and discovered it was an Egyptian custom. When a person had done something wrong, in order for them to express their contrition and their shame for what they did, they would place a pan of hot coals on their head to express the burning shame they felt within their hearts. And Paul says that when we do good to those who have done us evil, when we go to the one who has hurt us and we show them good, we put coals of fire upon their head. In essence, we shame them because of what they have done to us. We reverse what has been done to us by doing good to the one who has hurt us. And I know that's a hard assignment. Very hard assignment. I've told some of you about my experience at McDonald's. I was in a hurry one day for lunch and I was going to McDonald's down on Main Street and I went to turn into the McDonald's restaurant and apparently, I didn't mean to do this, but apparently the lady who was coming the other way thought I had cut her off. Now, I know in my heart I didn't do that, but she thought I did, and she was furious. She rolled her window down and gave me a piece of her mind she couldn't afford to do without, you know. Uh, She said some words I hadn't heard in a long time. She shouted obscenities at me, used a few hand signs I hadn't seen a woman do in a long time, screamed at me, and began to honk her horn. And now I'm in line to order, and she's in the line behind me. I confess to you, I locked my doors. (laughs) She was having a temper tantrum, and it was directed at me. So I got up to the window, and I got this wonderful thought. After I got my food and paid for it, I asked the lady, how much is her food in the car behind me? She said, is that one of your relatives? I said, no. Well, they told me how much the food was, and I said, I want to pay for her dinner. Well, that's very nice. I said, just tell me how much it is, and I'll pay for it. And I said, don't charge her again when she comes through. (laughs) So she came up to the window. I have to tell you, my carnal spirit, I had to hang around and see what happened, you know? (laughs) I kind of put my rearview mirror so I could check this out, you know, looking out the back window. And I could tell she was dumbfounded. She didn't know what to do. The guy she was so mad at just bought her lunch. And she probably went home and talked about that for days. Probably still talking about it, yeah. (laughs) You know, that's a very interesting thing, isn't it? You see, when we're angry, this is the interesting thing about it. When we're angry, oftentimes the person that we're angry with doesn't even know we're angry. They're not being affected at all. We're walking around all chewed up inside and the person we want to hurt doesn't even know it. So how do you reverse it? The scripture says with loving kindness and tenderness and forgiveness, you go and forgive the person for what they've done. If you can figure out some nice thing to do to encourage them, do it. But release the anger and reverse it 
by doing what God tells you to do. You say, that's not natural. You're absolutely right. It's supernatural. It's the thing that God enables you to do when you know him and you love him. But I promise you, if you do that, you will discover that the anger in your spirit begins to drain away. And I know some of you say, well, you know, I wouldn't know how to live without my anger. And that's probably true. A lot of people, they just hang on to their anger because it gives them a reason for getting up in the morning. I'm not sure I have much to say to you if you're not willing to deal with that. Some of you have read the book or seen the film Hurricane. I have the book at home and worked through the story of Reuben Hurricane Carter, a black boxer wrongly convicted of three murders. After two decades in prison for murders he didn't commit, Reuben Carter finally won his freedom, and that's what Hurricane's all about. If any man had a right to be filled with hate and anger, surely it was Hurricane Carter. But here's an excerpt from the speech that he gave recorded in the back of the book after he was released. He said, the question invariably arises, it has before and it will again, Reuben, are you bitter? And in answer to that, I will say, after all that's been said and done, the fact that the most productive years of my life between ages of 29 and 50 have been stolen, the fact that I was deprived of seeing my children grow up, wouldn't you think I'd have the right to be bitter? Wouldn't anyone under those circumstances have a right to be bitter? In fact, he said, it would be very easy to be bitter, but that has never been my nature. It's never been my lot to do things the easy way. If I've learned anything else in my life, I've learned that bitterness only consumes the vessel that contains it. And for me to permit bitterness to control or infect my life in any way whatsoever would be to allow those who imprisoned me to take even more than the 22 years they've already taken. And now that would make me an accomplice to their crime, wouldn't it? That is an amazing statement of forgiveness and dealing with anger. You know what I can tell you? He walked out of that prison not just free of the bars, but free of the people who put him there unjustly. You deal with anger by reversing it and releasing it to God. One man told me, he said, I'll never get justice on this earth, but I'm going to sue that man in the courts of heaven. (laughs) And I'm going to let God take care of it. And when you do, you can walk away and the anger will be gone and you'll be free. I want to encourage you that God has an answer for the pain in your life and for the giants that face you. There is a defense from the word of God. And if you will follow the principles of the word of God, you can deal with anger in your life. I have seen it happen over and over again, and it will happen for you if you will give the Lord God first place in your life and deal with his principles day by day. You know, somebody said today we get angry at all the wrong stuff and not angry enough at the stuff we should be angry about. I like to say it, usually it's better said this way. Never get angry at people, but you can get angry at the things people do. You can get angry at the issues that we're facing. I'm angry about a lot of things, and I think it's righteous anger, but I'm not angry at any one person. I am just angry about where we are and 
Um, and I think that that's a righteous thing. And so sort that out when you think about what we've been talking about. Here tomorrow, we're going to talk about resentment. Someone has said resentment is anger gone underground. <laughs> and that will be interesting to talk about that. You probably know somebody that you thought was fine. You were doing just great. Everything was good. And then all of a sudden, one day, something exploded. And you wondered, where did that come from? Well, it's been hiding, hiding underground. And we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Don't forget, friends, we're going to Alaska in July, the 15th through the 22nd. We're going to visit all the cool ports in Alaska. We're going to be on a beautiful cruise ship. I'm going to teach almost every day. We'll have devotions in the morning. We'll have great music with with our musicians and special guests. And uh, speaking of special guests, James Brown and Tony Dungy are going to be with us for a special sports night for all of our male cruisers. We're going to have such a great time with that. These are really great guys who love the Lord. And my son, Daniel, who's a an analyst for the NFL Network, he's going to interview them one night, and we'll have some opportunity to interact with them and get to know them. They're coming with their families to enjoy the cruise, but have promised us one night, and we'll take that and use it. And I hope you can come and enjoy it with us. Go to our website. There you'll find out everything you need to know to get your reservation in and join us for Alaska in July. And we'll be back tomorrow for the Friday edition of Turning Point. I hope you have a wonderful day. Be sure and find us. We're here every day, same place, same time, on this good station. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How are you being encouraged by this ministry? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, and learn how to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. You've heard this brain teaser question, I'm sure. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, 
will it make any noise? Here's a similar question. Is the good news of Jesus Christ actually good news for the person who doesn't hear it? A famous theologian named Carl Henry put it this way, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. If you have heard and believed God's good news and know someone who hasn't, let God use you to get the gospel to them in time. Everyone deserves the opportunity to hear the gospel. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's good news on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.